guys who weren't here, last week we had our annual church-wide retreat. And so we didn't meet here. We actually met at a different retreat site. And it was quite the weekend. Uh, We knew that there was something that was going to be very different about this retreat. And yet we didn't know exactly how it would play out. And yet God exceeded our expectations. Now, coming away from it, I think one of the biggest things that set us up for that, it was a 21-day fast where we came in positioned and expectant for God to move. And then once we got there, it was like a whirlwind weekend where God did so much. And I've been hearing so many testimonies, people, you know, who found reconciliation and even things that are not related to even the church, like family reconciliation. They got physical healing. Their hearts were open. Once again, they encountered the inner healing as well. Forgiveness, all these different things that were happening as we were meeting together and pressing in for the Lord to move. And so it was, quite the amazing weekend i would say two of the most um significant things that happened for me was one i felt like collectively our hearts began to open up towards the lord once again like perhaps after a a long and dry and and probably difficult season of contending and pressing in something happens in the human heart where you begin to get a bit hardened And slowly you begin to shift from a place of, I know God is good, into a place of, sure, God is good, but I'm not really going to ask for anything. You know, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, no loss. You know, I haven't really put my heart out there. I haven't really pressed in for anything. So I'm not going to be really disappointed if something doesn't happen. And yet for the first time in a long time, I believe what what happened during this retreat was our hearts began to open towards the Lord. And beginning to cry out once again, beginning to dream once again, ask more of the Lord. And I think that was something that really moved and blessed his heart. That is one of the marks of this church. We are a church that is moving in faith. And that is something that I feel like we're slowly recovering as a community. The second thing I believe that was happening throughout this retreat is our hearts began to open up towards one another as well. I don't know if you guys sense that, those who were at the retreat, but it felt like family. And even though JP danced that terribly, like we still love him, you know, you you can't unsee that, right? Like, like, oh, my eyes. Um, I mean, even through that, we forgive him and we love him because we are family, right? But like throughout the entire weekend, there was such warmth and joy. And we began to hear one another's stories and hear one another's testimonies. And it felt like God was beginning to knit our hearts together as a family. And so that was something else that uh, coming out of the retreat, I feel like that was very tangible fruit. And now the question remains, like, what are we going to do moving forward? What, are we, what now? What are we going to do with this? And that's kind of the challenge that I want us to speak about um, today. But before we do that, I want to address two groups of people. And this is kind of in the aftermath of the retreat. One is the people who weren't there, and you have mad FOMO right now. People who weren't there, perhaps you had to work the weekend, perhaps you had scheduled something that weekend, but for some reason or another, you weren't there uh, that that um, weekend. For those of you who feel like you missed out, like, man, that was the one window that I had to get my breakthrough or to get close to this community, and I blew it, I wasn't there. I guess the next year is really going to suck and I'm going to have to wait till the next retreat. That is a lie of the enemy. Um, What this community is entering into, that is also for you. 
So, uh, I mean, like our, the, the messages are all on podcast. You can talk to anybody who was there to get even a, a closer glimpse of what that was like. But whatever it is that we as a community receive, that is also for you as well. So don't feel like, man, I missed my chance. And now I'm going to have to wait for another year. I mean, for sure, sign up for next year, right? But, but don't feel like you've missed out on like the one chance that you had to get some kind of breakthrough. Because we are going to be entering in it together as a community. Now, the second group of people that I wanted to address is people who are likely going to be leaving Korea within the next year. Now, the retreat was very like, kind of like New Philly centered. Like these are the promises for this community. This is the life stage of this community. And for people who are moving on, when you hear this, you slowly begin to take the posture of a third person, you know, like a spectator, like good for them. They're going to enter into those promises, but I'm leaving, you know, I'm leaving for the States or I'm leaving for Canada. I'm leaving for wherever it is. I'm leaving so soon. That has nothing to do with me. And yet uh, what I believe is going to happen is whatever you received at that retreat and whatever it is that you're receiving through this community, you're going to take to wherever it is that you are going to be sent to. In the last year, I've been meeting with so many people who are a part of this community and they sowed in sacrificially for years and years. And they've come to this point of, man, what was all of that about? You know, was it all for nothing? And great. Now when we're seeing on social media, like they had an amazing retreat and I couldn't be there for that. I guess I missed out on the breakthrough. I was only there for the sewing part, but I, I'm going to miss out on the breakthrough. Um, that's actually not what God has been doing as I'm seeing and meeting more of these people like God is positioning them wherever they are to receive that same kind of breakthrough. It doesn't matter if they're in California, if they're in Virginia, if they are in Montreal, it doesn't matter where they are. Whatever it is that they sowed in, they're also going to receive and they're also going to reap. And so that's the word for, for whoever, you know, is here and is already thinking, okay, my next steps are out there. And so there's nothing for me left here, or there's nothing for me to reap from here. I encourage you to kind of shift your mindset a little bit. Perhaps the Lord gave you this for that reason, because you're going to be sent out because you're going to need that wherever it is that you're going. And so that's my encouragement to you. Don't let the last few weeks or months that you have here, don't let that go to waste, but I encourage you to you know, be selfish about this one thing, you know, just like get as much of it as you can press in after the Lord, press in for breakthrough, whatever that looks like. And you're going to see uh, how the Lord helps you carry that into your next season. The, um, this is part of my personal testimony. When I first came to new Philly, I was only supposed to be here. Like everybody says, I was only supposed to be here for six months and then I was supposed to go into school, but my visa got denied. The American embassy, I, anyway, oh, we're not going to go there today. Um, so my visa got denied. And so all of a sudden, instead of six months, I had an entire year to be a part of this community. This was back in 2008. And so I was thinking, well, okay, this is another six-month delay. It's just going to be this, a repetition of the first six months. And yet God had something very, very particular in store for me for this next six months. The next six months for me were, like, without exaggeration, were life-changing. It was during that time that the Lord encountered me so powerfully he would meet me at every service, through every prayer meeting, through every laying on of hands. And I would just be like absorbing it like a sponge. And I was thinking, wow, this is amazing. I guess this is going to be, it's going to be like this for the rest of my life. And yet what God had in store for me was those six months 
left in Korea would feed me for the next two and a half years. I didn't know that then. It's almost like God was storing something up, like filling up my storehouses for a next season of famine. And I had to receive intentionally for the six months. And it was something where if I hadn't, then I don't know how I would have made it through the next two and a half years. And I'll speak about that a little bit more towards the end of today's sermon. But my encouragement is if you have a short time here, then milk it. Like milk it for all it's worth every day. Make it count. You know, make relationships, reach out to people, receive prayer, do whatever it takes to be filled up by the time you have to leave. Does that make sense? Cool. All right. Um, so, uh, you know, as I was thinking about, uh, darn it, it's too tall. <laughs> no, no, no. When you do it, you lower it till like, <laughs> anyway. Um, um, so as I was preparing for today's sermon, I was really praying into okay, how on earth do you um, follow up something like that, like a weekend like we had last week. And the more I prayed about it, I felt like the Lord was putting on my heart to actually re-preach a message that I preached almost exactly a year ago. Almost exactly a year ago. Do you guys remember where we were a year ago? We were at SFS. It feels like a lifetime ago, right? Not only that, in December, we were kicked out from the main hall. So we were out in the, out in the lobby. Do you guys remember? We were out in the lobby. We're a little bit cold, but we had like a Christmas tree and like we were kind of huddled together. Do you guys remember that? It feels like so long ago. That was a year ago. And so it's a, it's a message that I preached then. But my sense is the reason why the Lord is asking me to preach this again is it's going to sound very different. Because where we are is very different as in terms of like where we are in our life stage as a church. And so uh, it's going to sound kind of familiar. And yet I hope that it means in the context that we are in, I hope it means something very different. So today, in, in I guess because we just had American Thanksgiving. Um, so the, the message is titled, Get Up and Eat. Get up and eat. And so we're going to be going into 1 Kings 19. If you have a physical Bible with you, I encourage you to open it up so you know that I'm not lying. Uh, I'm not making up these verses. These are all in everybody's uh, Bibles as well. If you don't have uh, a physical Bible or, you know, the, the app on your phone, then you can just follow along with the slides for today. So let me give you a little bit of context. We are going into uh, the life of Elijah, the prophet, in the middle of what seemed to be a long streak of success. So this is at the height of his quote-unquote career as a prophet. He, had, he has just humiliated 850 prophets from different idols. Right. And he has just not just humiliated them, but actually slaughtered them as well. Um, he also slaughtered them. So it's 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And so he has just come down from this amazing moment when he called down fire from heaven. And it wasn't just that, you know, he was asking the Lord to consume this offering that was on the altar. He had stacked the odds against this happening. So he had poured water over this. You know, he had done everything he could to make sure that people would know that this is authentically a move of God. And yet God came in such a powerful way in front of all of Israel, all of Israel got to see that the Lord of ja uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is so much more powerful than the gods of Baal and Asherah. 
And so he has just owned these guys, like in front of everybody, and he has just slaughtered all of them. And now we, we come into this point in, in the story, and this is what happens right after. Now Ahab told Jezebel, this is the queen, Jezebel, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. One of them being one of the slain um, prophets of Baal or Asherah. And it continues on to say, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Mind you, this is a person who just slaughtered 850 people, right? 850 grown men. He just slaughtered them. And this one threat from this one queen sent him uh, fleeing, right? He ran for his life. Then when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So this is a 180 turn from his, like, the height of his career. Like, he has done the most impossible thing in front of as many people as he could. And he completely honored the name of God in front of everybody. And just in a matter of days, we see this 180 turn where he is fleeing for his life now. He is all alone in the middle of the desert. And he's literally asking the Lord, Lord, kill me. Like, this is enough. I've had it. Would you end my life right now? And then this is what happens, like most of us, when we get very anxious or very troubled. He laid down under the tree and fell asleep. So we, most of us take a nap, right? So he fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. So he had a snack and he napped again, like most of us again. He's also a man like many of us. And then it continues on to say, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. This is Mount Horeb is where God appeared when Moses was up on the mountain, getting the Ten Commandments, and all of Israel was watching. It was earthquakes, lightnings, storms. There's clouds. There's a, voices like trumpet. That's the voice of the Lord. That's Mount Horeb, right? So he went back to that same place after a journey of 40 days and 40 nights. And this is what happens there. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Pause. Do you think God is actually asking for information at this point? This is a God who knows everything, right? Like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? That's not what God is saying. He's asking a much more profound question, right? What are you doing? What brings you here? What are you looking for? What are you fleeing from? Who is it you're here to meet? All those questions are encapsulated in that one question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So this has nothing to do with what he just said, right? And yet God seems to answer as if this was going to be the solution to what he just said. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. So can, how strong does wind need to be to shatter a mountain, like to break apart rock? Can you imagine the sound? Can you imagine the quakings? So this is this kind of supernatural wind that comes to Mount Horeb, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. So who here has ever been through an earthquake? Oh, okay. That's a pretty good number. Cool. Okay. I grew up in Chile in South America. We have earthquakes there all the time. Like we don't even bat an eyelash like anymore. Like we're like, okay, it's over. Let's move on with life. That's all we do. But if you've ever been in, in a part of, uh, in an earthquake, you hear like this deep rumble. You don't know exactly where it's coming from. It's like this deafening rumble everywhere around you. And there's nowhere to turn, nowhere to hide. You're disoriented and you're simply just waiting for that to end. And this is what is happening to him. He is in the middle of an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. So this is the same kind of supernatural fire that also appeared when Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. That same kind of supernatural fire was there, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face the same way that Moses covered his face in front of the presence of the Lord and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him once again, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. So 40 days and 40 nights, right? 40 days and 40 nights. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Minshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So this is a passage that we are going through today. One of the things that Alan had talked about at, I don't know if you caught this. He kind of said it a little bit in passing, but he was talking about what the life cycle of a believer of one that God loves what that looks like, how that plays out. And so he talked about, for example, the disciples. So when you think about when the disciples first 
uh, received an empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we automatically go to the Pentecost. And we're like, of course, it happened then when all these people were up on, in, in the upper room, they're waiting. But actually it happened before that. There's an instance when 72 of them received the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on them and they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they, they are sent out in twos to go all throughout the area to evangelize, to, uh, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. And they saw the result of that. They actually, these are people who are just you know, fishermen and, you know, they're not trained in ministry. And yet they're laying hands and then people are getting set free and they're getting healed. And they're like, oh my gosh, like what my hand, <laughs> like what the... <laughs> I thought it was a normal hand. So they see the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. And so they're thinking like, oh man, oh yeah, it's going to get really interesting real fast. We are on a roll. We're going to set this whole place apart. You know, we're going to tear it all up with the Holy Spirit. And they're super excited. And they don't know that there's death happening right around the corner. Jesus, instead of sticking with them and, you know, conquering all of Samaria, all of Judea, instead of doing that, he actually dies. This is the, like a major upset for them. They were thinking they were on like on a trajectory only upwards. And then Jesus, their founder, he dies. And this sends them into a crisis. There's a resurrection after that. And yet many of them didn't believe even when they saw. Then Jesus ascends into heaven. But before he does it, he tells them, You've seen the death. You've seen the resurrection. Now it's your time to actually meet together, gather together as a people and begin to ask for a new pen, for a new endowment of the Holy Spirit. What you experience with the 72 back here, that will not compare to what is ahead for you. So you're glorifying these days right now, and you are growing disappointment through the death and resurrection in the middle. And yet what you need to know is that you're being strengthened in order to gather together, press in and know that there's a greater promise ahead for you. You need to bank on that, not just live in the glory days back then, not just, you know, just go to standstill in the middle because of disappointment, but you need to get back into that upper room, begin to pray and trust that God is going to show up in a much greater way than you ever experienced. And so this was their invitation. This was the invitation that they received as disciples. Trust me that I am going to pour out even in a greater measure than you have ever experienced. You just need to trust me and wait it out, press in, trust that I'm good and I have something greater ahead for you. That was their invitation for this person, Elijah, that we just, Lord, we just went through the highest of highs. And now he's going through the lowest of lows where he's literally saying, Lord, would you kill me now? Like, isn't that a kill me now? Is that's an acronym, right? Okay. Uh, kill me now, literally kill me now. And at, at, and God meets him in that place of death, in that place of like, I cannot go on any longer. He meets him there. He speaks to him and he seems to be gearing him up for a next season of ministry. What is the invitation for Elijah? The invitation for Elijah is we're going to go into four different things. So we're going to go through the same passage and we're going to tease out a few points he lay down under the tree and fell asleep all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat and he looked around and there by his head i know when we read this we're just like oh yeah there is you know there's coals there's food like 
Imagine you're all alone in the desert. All alone in the desert. There's not a soul anywhere near you. And you wake up and there's a stove cooking something for you right there. Isn't, isn't that going to freak you out? He's in the middle of nowhere. And yet God, in his sovereignty, he brings an angel to cook for him. A chef angel. Right? To cook for him. He, God cares about the fact that he needs strengthening. God cares about the fact that he is exhausted, that he is done, that he doesn't have any more to go on. And God in his sovereignty, there's no one around. Maybe if there had been someone around, maybe he would have sent somebody, but he, he's like, nobody, okay, I'm going to send an angel this time. And the angel supernaturally comes to him and prepares an entire meal for him. And, and as if nothing had happened, he just, oh, cool. He ate, drank, and then laid down again. And then the, the, the angel of the Lord, he came back again a second time. So as if that wasn't enough, right? A second time touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights. So he got the fuel that he needed for the journey that was right there that he needed to go through. So the first thing that God does when you reach that point, a breakdown, when you've hit rock bottom, when you don't think that no matter how much of good intentions you have or how much encouragement you receive like from somebody near you, um, like you just don't have it in you. Like you're done. You're spent. Like I, that's it. I'm done. Finito. Game over. I, I just don't have it in me anymore. God will supernaturally come and strengthen you. God is a God who cares for you who knows how much you go through, who knows how much you carry, who sees a struggle, sees a wrestle. And he's not just impassively just waiting it out from a distance. He's actually very involved in your life. And he will come and he will strengthen. He'll mobilize angels if he needs to. He will cook it himself if he needs to. But he will strengthen you in that moment. That's the first thing that God will do. Now, the second thing, We'll continue reading. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through, uh, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So God in his mercy doesn't just strengthen you in what you need physically, what you need emotionally. He will actually address a spiritual need that you have in that moment. God will reveal himself to you again. The passage we just read is not... A blanket statement saying God is never in the fire. He's never in the earthquake. He's never, you know, in the, in the wind. So in front of Moses, be true as a formula because God did appear in that same mountain a few years ago in front of Moses, right? He did appear in the fire, in the wind and in the earthquake. So you can't say, oh, God only shows up in, in, in a whisper. That's not a formula for us to receive. And yet what seems to be the message here is that God will manifest himself in a way that you've never experienced before. You're expecting this God to show up. The same God that you saw perhaps 
before in your life, in a previous season in your life. But God will manifest himself. He will introduce himself once again in a different form. When you are going through crisis, when you're going through the lowest of lows, and you know God, the victor, you know God, the one who answers very quickly, you know the God who has never said no to you before, the God who woos you, maybe God is introducing you to the God who will sustain you through that period, that season where nothing else will. God, your sufficiency. God, your provider. God who is enough. Perhaps he's reintroducing himself to you in a different way. So God will reveal himself to you once again. And perhaps in a very different form from what you're used to. He is reintroducing himself to you. That's the second thing that will happen. Now the third thing, we'll continue reading. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you can. As if this is very like, dude, didn't you just hear what I just said? Like, I am tired. What do you mean? Go back 40 days and 40 nights. What do you mean? And God is saying, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. So go back to a different desert this time, right? So don't go to the oasis. Don't get to the city. Go into another desert. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram, and so on and so forth. What God is saying to this person who feels like they've reached the end of their rope and they've probably reached the end of their career and their walk with the Lord as well, God is giving him a new assignment. He's saying, I'm not done with you. There's still work to be done. I know you're disappointed. I know you're tired. And I will strengthen you. I will give you everything that you need. I'll provide for you. I'll be there for you. But you're not done yet. There's still work for you to do. There's still ministry for you to do. There's people that you need to bless. There's people that you need to reach out to. You are not finished. There's still a hope and a future for you. There's still a task at hand. So God will give you your new assignment. And lastly, if we read the last part from that passage, it says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. What had he just repeated over and over in front of the Lord? I am the only one, like out of all of Israel, everybody, everybody is deserted. I am the only one left. Like I'm the one person left in all of Israel who still honors you, God. And yet God says this, yet I reserve 7,000, 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. God will remind you that you are not alone. He'll remind you that you're not alone. There's people that he's setting apart. There's people that are on that same journey to honor him, despite the persecution, despite the trials, despite the hardships. There's also going to be people who are going to be partnering with you to see this assignment fulfilled. So there's 7,000 in Israel that God had preserved, and he had no idea. He was in the middle of the desert thinking, everybody has deserted you. There's no one who's going to stand up for your name. What's going to happen to your glory, God? What's going to happen to your namesake? And yet God is saying, I've made provision for that as well. It's not up to you to do that. You will partner with me in that work. But I have set for myself, I've set 7,000 apart to do my work as well. You are not alone. Things, 
who's fighting to see my glory. And so these are the four things that God does. And he reveals himself in this way to the prophet Elijah when he feels like there is just no future for him. Like he's reached that end and there's nowhere else to go. Now let me rephrase this for you. And this is what I believe is the invitation for us as well. I was thinking about this past retreat and how it was such an amazing retreat. And yet we run the, we run the risk of it only having been a great retreat and now going back to life as usual, you know, like business as usual, like nothing has changed, like the transformation, all of that, what that happened back then, it was just a temporary thing. And now I'm back to the real world and I'm like, nothing really has changed. We could, you know, just think about it. Wow. That was a great weekend. I hope that same thing happens at our next retreat and we can move on with life, you know, like, well, we have another year, hopefully, you know, that'll be just as great. Um, and we can just resign it to that. Just be like, okay, that was a great retreat. Now we're back to, you know, business as usual. But I feel like the invitation for us is in accordance to this. Let me rephrase it for you. One is let God strengthen you. Let God reveal himself to you again. Let God give you your new assignment and let God remind you, you are not alone. Rephrase it another way. Ask the Lord to strengthen you. Ask the Lord to reveal himself to you again. Ask the Lord to give you your new assignment. Ask the Lord to remind you, you are not alone. Whoa. That is the invitation for us. Otherwise, it'll simply be, wow, those are great memories. That was a great weekend. Man, I'm so glad God moved so powerfully. And your life won't change. There will be no transformation. What I believe was this retreat, it wasn't the breakthrough in and of itself. It was a door opening. And now it's an invitation to step through. Now walk through that doorway. The walking out is actually the challenge. It's not like everything happened on Saturday night. You're set to go. You just chill and wait for the Lord to appear again. No, the invitation is you tasted and saw that, that, that little foretaste, that appetizer that is available to you. Now walk through this door, press in, ask for more. Know that God wants to meet you in that same way. This is something that I just said to um, some of our house church leaders earlier today up there. And you it was when you see someone like Alan Hood, you know, preaching up there and you see him, like he hears crazy stories, right? Where the Lord appeared in such crazy ways and answering, you're like, who are you? Are you for real? Like, does God really move in that? And you're like, is that even possible? And if this retreat and if Alan Hood in particular provoked in any way, it should be this. He is a man and a mortal just like you. He has the same Holy Spirit you have. He doesn't have Holy Spirit plus. He doesn't have Holy Spirit 2.0. He has the same Holy Spirit that you have living within you. That same Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit lives within you. So if you are provoked in any way during the retreat, it should be, if that's available for that man, it's available for me too. There should be a holy dissatisfaction where you think, oh, that's within the realm of possibility. 
like that's available to me on this side of eternity, then I need to press in. Then I'm going to seek for more because I feel like I've tasted a little bit. And now this gives, this whets my appetite just enough for me to begin to press in and ask for more. Alan Hood is an amazing person and yet he's still a mortal. He's still a sinner. Sounds wrong to say that, but yes, he's still, <laughs> he's still a sinner like you and me, you know? Just like you and me, that same Holy Spirit, those same breakthroughs, that same kind of intimacy and journey with the Lord is available to you as well. So that is the invitation for us as well. Can we seek him together? Can we learn to love one another? Can we call out and press in for the Holy Spirit together as a community, knowing that the foretaste that we had perhaps back in the day, 2007, 8, 9, in the lifetime of our church, there's a much greater outpouring, much greater promises that God has yet to fulfill, and that's ahead for us. Can we do that together as a family? So this should, like, get you excited. This should get you excited because you know now what is possible. You know now that if he answered him to, you know, give him a storm, to give him all these ridiculous things that, you know, I don't know if they blessed him. They blessed him and his, his dad. But, you know, if he's able to answer that, why can't the Lord give me a job when I ask for it? Why can't the Lord, you know? Give me breakthrough my family when I'm asking for it. That same God is answering him. He's able to answer you. The question is, are you going to respond to this invitation? God is leaving the door wide open for us to come through. The way that I, I explained it to the, to the house church leaders this morning, it was the retreat. It wasn't like the breakthrough itself. It was like the Holy Spirit came in with defibrillators. You, you guys know what that is, right? When like somebody's flatline, like they have no pulse, like doo -doo. They come in with a clear, boom, and they do that, 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 that. So we, we're, we got a pulse now. Now we got a pulse, and now it's time to go, right? It's not time to just lay there and just wait for another defibrillator. We're, it's time for us to get up now and start to press in, start to move forward as well. We can't just be relying on somebody to come in with a defibrillator again. We need to press in for ourselves, rise up, and begin to ask from the Lord.